0: Hello, and thank you for listening to The Founder's Corner. This podcast invites business owners and entrepreneurs to discuss their business challenges and seek advice from our host, AJ Prasad. AJ is a serial entrepreneur and owner of two seven-figure web-based businesses, GMR Web Team and GMR Transcription, and the proud creator of the online reputation management software, Repugen. If you would like to be a guest on our show or contact AJ personally, please click the link in the episode description. Enjoy the show.
1: Hello and welcome to the Founders Corner. Uh, this is AJ and here with me today I have Shell Horowitz.
0: How are you today, Shell? Just great, AJ. Fantastic. So,
1: so Shell, you know, if, why don't you let us know a little bit about your business and then we can get into specific questions that you have uh, you know, where maybe we can we can help you with uh, some ideas.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, it's at a very interesting time in my business because although I started the firm 35 years ago, I've really spent the last three years tilting it in a completely different direction, well, not a completely different direction, but a somewhat different direction. It's been a gradual evolution. But I am now really ready to pull the trigger and go forward, if you will, with the idea that business can be a force for social change and for the environment Not just in its philanthropy, but in its core products and services, and that the way you get business to take this on is not through guilt and shame, but through enlightened self-interest, basically showing them how they can make money doing it. So as a consultant and speaker and writer, I am looking at these issues of how to turn hunger and poverty into sufficiency, how to turn war into peace, and how to turn catastrophic climate change into planetary balance. It's really exciting stuff. Um, So, so Shell, can
1: I um, interject? So since you said that you are, you know, right now your business is taking an interesting turn, so do you mind just taking us from the beginning when you started the business and how it has uh, changed to to where it is today so that our uh, audience can understand. Uh In
0: 1981, I moved to a new area, Western Massachusetts, where I still live, and I realized that I was going to need to have some way of uh, paying the bills. And I thought I would try to be a freelance writer, but while I was waiting for my freelance writing career to take off, I started a term paper typing service. We live reasonably close to a major public university and several smaller colleges. So there was in this pre-computer era there was a market for that. So I started typing term papers uh, to tide me over until my freelance writing career took off. But then in the next couple of years I realized number 1 that freelance writing at that time was a very very difficult and very low paying a, a, a occupation with an awful lot of work for free that you never got paid for and a lot of head banging where people said go ahead and give me something on spec and then they didn't want it And meanwhile I had also started to branch out from just term paper typing to resume writing and I'm trained as a writer I, my background is in journalism and at that time I had already had one book out that I did very very young and I thought, well, goodness, um, here's a way I can make a living as a writer that doesn't involve all the headbanging and sending queries and getting rejections. I can just write for people who actually want me to write for them. So that started with the resumes and then broadened over time to include things like press releases and direct mail copy and web page copy and other kinds of business communications and eventually into strategic marketing planning and strategic profitability work And then also, I've not only been in the marketing world since the 1970s, but also the green and activist worlds. And in, oh goodness, 1999, I started a people's movement to save the mountain that is behind my house, actually, the mountain next to that mountain, which was under threat with a large housing development. And I organized this incredibly successful movement that involved thousands of people, at least on the level of slapping on a bumper sticker, putting up a yard sign or signing a petition. We could pretty much routinely bring out 400 people or so to public hearings. And keep in mind that I live in a town of 5,000. So this was like 8% of the town would be showing up at a meeting. And uh, uh, within a, a very short time, I thought it would take us five years to defeat this. And we did it in 13 months flat. And so that was 1999 and 2000. And reflecting on that success, I started thinking about, well, I do all this activist stuff on the side. Are there ways to build this into my business more? So then I I started really looking at being a marketing copywriter and consultant for green businesses. And then over time, I realized that green isn't enough. Sustainability isn't what we want because sustainability is keeping things the way we are and we want to get them better. So I started talking about regenerativity and about the idea that we can really make a difference. And then, well, why would business want to do that? If you guilt and shame them, they'll just sort of build the wall and, and hole up and, and like go away. And uh, uh, For every Nike that actually changed its practices because of guilt and shame, there are many, many more companies that just get annoyed and don't engage with you if you use those strategies. But if you show them how to make money, well, then they're all ears. Even a company as untree-huggerish as Walmart has figured out that its green initiatives make them an enormous amount of money and save them an enormous amount of money. It's not well known, but Walmart actually sells more organic food than Whole Foods does. And the interesting thing is that they sell it mostly to people who don't go to Whole Foods. So they doubled the market.
1: So uh, so give, give us some example of how you have uh, helped your customers uh, become green and also both ways, green in terms of money and green in terms of environment?
0: Okay. Well, for example, I had a client in Vancouver, British Columbia, who came to me with two different businesses that were kind of interrelated. He had property management software for green buildings. And then he also had social networking software for the tenants of those buildings. And he was only thinking about his own Vancouver market. And I showed him that he could extend not only geographically, but into several different niches. that he could take that software and really kind of repurpose it. So that was one. Then on my side of the country, uh, in Massachusetts, about oh, 25 miles from here, I had a client who had a conference center that happened to be the site of some very historic things involving the safe energy movement under several previous owners ago, and i wrote him a marketing plan that was all about using that history using this this iconic status of the the place that he happened to buy to attract the kinds of conferences and events that would really be a very good fit for him and that would be really honored to be there so those are two examples okay okay
1: good good so so now we understand what you are doing. So let's let's delve into your questions, you know, for today's. So just go ahead and let's start your Q&A.
0: Okay. My first question to you is if I am going into markets that include Fortune 50 corporations going down to solopreneurs, how do I set up a pricing structure that's fair to everybody that doesn't scare off the solopreneurs because it's too expensive and doesn't scare off the uh, very very large corporations because it's too cheap. So I, I will tell you that
1: generally speaking, it's it's really difficult to to target those two groups. I uh, you know I'm a big proponent of figuring out who is your ideal customer and and target that. Now having said that, you know the the pricing for. Uh, you know, I have always said that pricing has nothing to do with cost. It has to do with the real value that you're bringing for the for your client, uh, right? So that that's what the pricing should be uh, driving. So if you are talking about the either solopreneur or long uh, or large corporation, both of them are looking for. You have experience with marketing. I have experience with marketing for big companies, small companies, and in no matter what you do, they are their focus is return on investment. So, what am, am I going to get for this money that I'm, uh, you know, I'm spending? And I think that so long your focus is on that, uh, the, it will automatically, uh, you know, the pricing will become, uh, you know, of course, a lot of companies will be willing to pay you more money because even the proportionately same return is going to mean a lot more dollar amount for them. Than uh, than a solopreneur. So what you are doing is a huge challenge from my perspective uh, as a as a marketer myself. Is like how how can I become you know really relevant for someone who is just starting or working from home and for WalMarts of the world. And generally speaking, is difficult. But uh, every individual case can be you know, very different. Uh, I know that some of the services that we provide, for example, we can very easily do it. You know, we have customers who are doing $2 billion in revenue and we have customers that are literally like $300,000 in revenue. Uh, so, so we have done that, but those are the customers who came to us directly, so you know, my target is always the smaller businesses. So the big company came and, and they liked what I offer because what we offer is equally relevant. So I understand what you're saying, that what you're offering is totally relevant for everyone. Uh, but in terms of marketing and, and pricing, my suggestion is that you almost have to have a two separate strategy.
0: Mm-hmm. On yeah, one of the things that I'm thinking of is that it may be that my customers are not the same as my clients. So the uh, one strategy I'm exploring very actively is having large companies sponsor me to work with smaller companies or non-profits or smaller business units within the company.
1: Yeah, that, that, if you can pull that off, that solves both problems, right? Um, so that you know, now you have a large company that has a purpose, you know, for hiring you and then, then your target is a smaller company. So so again, uh, Michelle, my, my focus is if you start to look at the value that you are providing for large company versus small companies, uh, things should start to fall into place. I I, I think that you start to see uh, where uh, you know wh- what is the real value that you are providing, and then so long it is a real value, you you will be fine. Whoever you are targeting, I mean I have I've always told my my clients, or you know when I'm you know there are times when I'm invited into some forums. To talk to uh, uh, to small businesses, and I always say that just make sure that whatever you are offering has a real value for your customers, and then other things will start to fall into place. Uh, so, so that's that will be my my real suggestion is uh, you already seem to have some, an idea of getting Fortune uh, 50 companies to to sponsor you to help small businesses. That that that's great if you can if you. Are talking to enough of those people they see a real value mm-hmm. but it, it you know you are on the right track in the sense that you want you know green and green right so so it's not like you are sacrificing one green versus another green uh so given that uh, all you have to do is start to figure out how how the corporations uh, are helped i mean there's one thing to talk about philanthropy where corporations are paying you so that you can help small businesses another thing to go to them and say, help me help small businesses and this is how it's going to help you.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I, I've, I've done that work. Okay, good. Yeah. Good.
1: So, 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 you know, you are already on track there. It just, uh, you know, the more you focus and more you, you narrow target it, I think the more uh, effective your program will start to be.
0: Okay, great. Okay, next question would be there's a lot of marketing out there, everybody does marketing, but the marketing doesn't always translate to sales. Uh, And particularly stuff like um, exposure in the media, social media mentions, um, it seems that it doesn't move the needle all that much. What strategies do you have for turning all the good marketing hits into actual revenue?
1: Okay, so this is a very interesting question because I have a background where I come from uh, you know very large corporations before i started my uh, own business and my f- very first job very first corporate job 100 years back <laughs> was was to look at uh, analyze marketing uh, done by the by my company that i worked at and see how effective they are okay so, so your, your question is uh is, is very interesting to me now i will tell you how the big corporations did and why it is much more effective there versus the small corporation why it is not effective so in in the big corporation even though we had budgets of hundreds of billions of dollars right Uh, marketing budget and in those days tv was a big thing when i was there this was the internet era Uh, nothing was done without testing it so even though the company thought this was one of the best program ever we will go and test it in a small market. So, given the, the budget, because they had hundred million dollar budget, so you know the testing would we will spend half a million dollars mm-hmm. to test it in a small market to uh, to 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 really understand uh, you know how what kind of uh, uh, you know what kind of uh, <clears throat> results that we see before we will launch it. Uh, okay, and then even when the campaign was being done. It was monitored very closely, literally, you can say every day, to make sure that it is bringing the return. Now, fast forward, most of the small businesses that I deal with, what, what I'm seeing is the reason why did so much marketing to move the needle on sales is because they don't have a mechanism for monitoring and, and uh, assessing results. I have, you know, I cannot tell you how many small companies come to me and they say, "Oh, you know, we hired this SEO company and it's not working." And I would say, "How do you know that it's not working?" And they're like, "Well, see, we are not on page one for this keyword." I'm like, "Okay, so when was the last time you took page page one ranking to the bank?"
0: And they have no answer. So, so if you put the wrong metrics to always
1: have to test right and you always have to measure the results and and so long you put the the right metrics for results so for for example from my training that i have the only thing that i focus on is return on investment and trust me i have worked with some very large corporation where when they spent like 15 and this is like a oil company so when they spent the 25 million dollar on a Ad campaign and and uh, I just was invited to sit into the presentation of the results and they were talking about all these oh you know this is awareness this is ad awareness this is this and I'm sitting there finally I got impatient raise my hand and say I'm sorry
0: what did what did it do to sales mm-hmm. and I got a wrong
1: long lecture from the <laughs>
0: presenter why we should not be judging
1: you know the result of ad on sales now I think that is a bunch of garbage.
0: I'm with okay. you on that. I, I definitely come from the direct marketing camp and not the image advertising camp. But so, so, so on. Uh, uh, the only
1: reason marketing uh, fails to move the needle is because someone is not monitoring it on a regular basis and tweaking it. Uh, you know, having been in marketing for, geez, you know, uh, so many years in uh, decades myself, there's seldom any program that I launch. That is 100%. It's a straight home run from the get-go. Mm-hmm. It's it's almost like you launch it, then you say, hey, you know, this worked, this didn't work, and then you tweak it and, and you tweak it and tweak it, and eventually you get to a point where you know that I'm going to put this much money, I'm going to get this much money back. So, so a small business owners either they give up very quickly, uh, or they will just drag something on forever. It's because they don't have a good measurement in place to judge the effectiveness, try to understand why it is working and not working, and then tweak it to make sure that it starts to work. Mm
0: -hmm. Interestingly enough, the uh, Save the Mountain story um, was one of the rare cases where image image marketing actually seemed to work. Um, I was pretty shocked to see how much awareness we had built with our lawn signs and our bumper stickers. Um, I, I had very low uh, expectations for those and I, I let people who wanted to do them do them, but I, I really didn't have any expectation that they would do anything, and they did. They really built a brand for us. Yeah, so sure.
1: I'm not saying that image advertising never works.
0: Oh, no, um, no, I'm not hearing that you are. It, yeah,
1: in fact, today's uh, world what happens especially if you are a small business owner you know someone you know is either through referral or they find you somehow they see your signage or they find you on the on googling it but what's the next thing
0: they do is they go and check your uh, reviews right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: that is image
0: yeah and I always tell
1: businesses that you have to be very proactively building your reviews online because that is how a, a huge chunk of people judge whether they should be doing business with you or not. So, I'm not saying that image has zero value, but again, you have to have that measurement in, in place. And so long you have a very clear objective to start with. So, so, you're saying, hey, you know what, I need to build this kind of awareness because this will give me, and as a result, it's going to give me this result. Then you can judge. You can monitor both, right? You can monitor the awareness level, and then you can monitor whether it's bringing the desired results that you thought it will bring. So again, having the end result in mind when you are uh, launching a marketing campaign, that that goes a long way. That that will always help you create the right measurement and uh, monitoring it, uh, so to make sure that it's effective.
0: Okay. All right. Ready for the next question? Yes. All right. How do you get inside people's heads so that they understand that their particular business can thrive by actively making the world better? And how can you help them understand the risks of not doing this, the opportunity costs of not being seen as a leader?
1: Okay. So you know. So the last one I will tell you: the opportunity cost of not being a leader is is really not as relevant to small businesses because most of the small businesses are trying to survive, right? So, of course the big businesses, I, I can see that, uh, uh, that question and generally speaking they want to become a leader so you don't have to sell them. Uh, but, you know, in terms of convincing people uh, on a particular business, you know, why they should be doing this to, uh, so that it's going to be uh, good for them. I've always said that the marketing is, uh, it's, it's almost like you have to build a case, right, in marketing. Uh, it is it's, it's almost like you uh, attorney goes and builds a case in front of jury and explains to them why they should be why this person is guilty or not guilty or, or whatever
0: right so you have to build a case you know for the business owners
1: uh, in terms of why they have to do this and what is the repercussions pluses or minuses of not doing this so and and again uh, most of the marketers unfortunately try to use the image and and try tries to use the psychology or or whatever to convince uh most but on the other hand most of the time the easiest way to convince is to is to build up this very solid case it's almost like uh, you have a uh, case study and you say hey you know this is what you have to do or see what happened when someone did this mm-hmm. or so so again you have to build an argument and it has a very logical argument uh, so that they can, uh, you know, you have to, once you are in front of them, which as a marketer, you already know that the headline is going to be the, the thing whether someone will read your marketing or not. But once once you grab them, you almost have to, you have to build a case why they should be doing this. Very logical. And, and it works, logic works,
0: either it's a consumer or it's B2B or B2C, it always works. Okay, and then my last question for you is how to convince people that we actually have the power to turn those human miseries into the kinds of successes that we want to see and that business can be a powerful lever in doing that. So
1: again, your original premise uh, or your unique value proposition, I call it, is of double green. I'm just simplifying it. (laughs) Like you know, you you become more money by being more socially conscious, more sustainable, more green. You know that that argument. Uh, it it already helps. You see, I don't. Uh, you know, I meet lot of people. Obviously, as, you know, as a business owner, and I have done that in, even in the past. And I have never met single person I can very confidently say in my life who says that you know what I I really want to make the environment dirty. You know? <laughs> And so I you know I, I want to pollute the the water, or so you know the the challenge always is can they it, you know is it going to cost them? The only time when when people so the businesses when they pollute, for example, river by dumping uh, the uh, you know the the waste, you know certainly why because it just saves them money. Again, your other agreement you know our argument about green, so. So the idea is, and I'm not saying that most business are doing the right thing. I'm just, just, I'm just saying that that if they could, even the the worst offender, if they could do that without a huge cost, the chances are they they would do it, right? So <laughs> no one wants to go and say, you know, let us pollute the river today and see what happens. Uh, I guess some people may be doing it point zero zero one percent, but majority of the people. So you again, you have to get. When you are talking about convincing against, going back to the same thing, once you have the right argument that say, this is going to help you, and it's all at the same time, it's going to help other people. Uh, Again, I've not met many people who said, I don't care if my active action is going to help other people or not. Of course, if you say, you give me money, you give me more tax, you do whatever, and, and because I want to help other people, then you have a lot of resistance, right?
0: But if, if helping other people ends up helping you
1: also, you know, that, that helps. See, that's the reason why, like, you know, the Chamber of Commerce is, at least in the Southern California area, they do a very good job of, you know, bringing different expertise, uh, people with different expertise in front of people, in front of small businesses, whatever so so that uh, so when for example when i'm invited to come and talk about marketing strategy uh, by chamber of commerce yes you know i it takes my time i have to make preparation so there's a cost to me but then in that what it does it, it educates people and i walk back with some potential
0: clients, right? Of course, of course, yeah. That's so, why we so speak. this becomes a total win-win. Yes, absolutely. And I, I do phrase it that way. I have a talk, for example, called Making Green Sexy. And in that talk, I, I talk from two perspectives. One is the perspective of there are three different types of markets for green products and services. There are the deep greens, who are the environmentalists, who make every decision on the basis of how will this help or hurt the earth. There are the Lazy Greens, which includes people like my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law lives in Queens, and I will imitate the way she speaks. I stayed at her house when I was going to tour the Markel Toilet Paper Factory, which is 100% recycled and has been for more than 60 years. And she says to me, I always buy Markel because it's recycled. Well... The reality is she's a lazy green. She's not a deep green. She always buys Markel because it's not only recycled, but it's next to the Scott and the other brands on her supermarket shelf where she already is. Got it. Yeah. So for her, it's very easy to market as long as you have the distribution that makes it convenient. Uh, And then there are the non-greens. And for the non-green, you have to... Present arguments that are self-centered benefits. You have to say this is more durable. This is cheaper. This will exactly. uh, this exactly. will be more comfortable to use. This uh, it, it, all those the 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 actual ultimate benefits one to one person. So you can market very successfully green products to the Hummer driving, cigar smoking. Um, non-environmentalist climate skeptic, but you have to do it on the basis of their self-interest.
1: Correct, yes.
0: And um, the other piece I do in the Making Green Sexy is I I make the case of how much money businesses can save and make. We talked about Walmart earlier, but there are examples in my book, um, my most recent book, which is my 10th, is called Guerrilla Marketing to Heal the World. And I have a lot of case studies from very, very well-known businesses like General Electric, like Toyota, uh, Procter & Gamble, uh, of how they've really been able to monetize green products and services, both by saving costs, because energy, of course, is a huge cost, water, materials, all of these things are huge costs. And the greener you go, the less you're spending on those things. And also on the revenue side, because people want to buy it. Uh, Think of the Prius. You live in Southern California. I live in Western Massachusetts. I think those are both areas where a Prius is considered a status symbol. Who would have thought 10 years ago, 15 years ago, that people would be buying Priuses to show off?
1: Yeah, you see,
0: now they have, they have started buying Tesla. Right,
1: yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, Tesla, you know, it's been very interesting to watch that company because he has taken the money he's made um, with Tesla and with some of the other ventures he's been involved with, in particular his earlier successes, and he's really invested it into cutting-edge technology that's going to make the whole planet greener. Just the other day, he announced a new solar roofing tile that he says is cheaper than putting on a conventional roof and then solarizing it. The, the, it's actually built into the tile. I looked for something like this when I had to put a new roof on my house in 2009, and the technology was in existence, but it was very experimental and very, very expensive, and I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, again, to your point, let's see, when, when you can you can give me a roof that is cheaper than
1: my current roof and also reduces the cost of electricity. I mean, someone has to be an idiot to say, you know what? I don't care because it's going to help uh, environment, right? Yeah. So everyone will take it. And, and I think that that is the, you know, my final thing will be that needs to be the real focus. Uh, I think that, you know, the, when you're talking about uh, the deep green and the, and and the, and, and the lazy greens. They were too, uh, you know, they are already doing it anyway. You don't have to convince
0: them, right? Right. So, uh, so this is, it is the third group, which is the largest group, actually, uh, uh, still. I, I'm going to argue that I think the lazy greens are probably the largest group. But okay. that's fairly yeah, recent. I, actually, I, I, I Five, five, ten years ago, I think it would have been the non-greens, but that has shifted. Yeah, correct. I, I, I agree with that. So the for the lazy green, you already know that largest group. All they need is availability and and uh,
1: value, right? Yeah, yep. And and they will do it. So so that is the direction that everyone has to take. You know, when the solar power came in, and I remember people coming trying to sell me, and I did a return investment, and it was like, geez, you know, it will, you know, I have to own this for thirty years uh, before I will recover my money. So the only reason I would be putting you know, spending this $30,000 is because, you know, I'm green,
0: right? Well, I, I should ask you to look again at that because the numbers have changed a lot. Solar no, no, has has become much, much cheaper now. The prices come way, way down, and there are also uh, innovative financing models. Some of them are rent-to-own or some of them are pay-over-time where the equation is very different. And you live in Southern California. If I can do solar in my house here in cloudy, cold Massachusetts. And I did it back in 2001. I put on solar hot water, and then three years later, a totally inadequate 1K um, uh, photovoltaic system. But in Southern California, as long as you're not under a cliff or under a big palm tree, you should easily be able to do it. And I think you'll find the payback is much, much less than it was when you looked into it before. I, I already know,
1: because you see, that's what I was going to tell you, that when when 10, 15 years back, when they started, you
0: would not find uh, any solar cells on, on the homes because
1: very few people, again, that was a status symbol at that time. Now, it's commonplace because guess what?
0: All of a sudden, financially, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. It? Exactly. So, yeah. so people are doing it. So I think that you are really
1: onto to it. It's, it's just you have to build that case uh, very strong so that people, uh, you know, they can see through it. You know, it's one thing to say it, but the, another thing to to create a whole uh, argument like like you are a you know attorney, prosecuting attorney, and say, okay, hey guys, you know this is what this is the reason why you should be doing this. So so that will be, and and there the self interest or the return on investment has to be a very big piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, so long, you can you can show the return on investment uh, and green i mean like I, like we agree most of the people are lazy green and they want to do the right thing anyway, yeah yeah i so, think so okay so so that is it if you don't have any question i want to uh, i don't want to take too much of your time i just want to uh, we can stop the recording
0: well before um, we yeah. stop before we stop the recording there is one other thing i do want to tell people that who are listening that if if they want to learn more about this work i have some gifts for your listeners and the way you get to them is you go to goingbeyondsustainability.com forward slash freebies, F-R-E-E-B-I-E-S. And there is, among other things, there are uh, several book excerpts from Guerrilla Marketing to Heal the World. There's actually an assessment tool people can use to determine if their business is ready to take on green or social change products and services. And anybody who fills out that investment actually... that, that you know, that uh, assessment. Good. Anybody who fills out that assessment actually earns a short consultation with me at no charge, and um, some other cool stuff as as well.
1: Perfect. And Shelina, how would someone contact you?
0: My email is S-H-E-L, s h e l s is and Sam, and Shell with one L. Shell at profitable dot com. My phone number, and I'm happy to take your call, um, 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. U.S. Eastern, which is 5 a.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific, and that number is 413-586-2388, 413-586-2388, and Twitter is just my name, S-H-E-L-H-O-R-O-W-I. Okay, good. Then
1: uh, uh, it was really good talking to you. So I'm, uh, you know, we will, you know, we'll chat again. And, and everyone, all the listeners, go to Shell's website. He has a really interesting uh, value proposition. So you should see all the, you know, our uh, listeners are business owners. So hopefully they will uh, go and check your website and see if how they can use your services.
0: Great. Well, thank you so much, AJ. It's been really fun to chat and. Uh, I think you've you've got some great insights, and I'm sure that you're building great loyalty uh, by, by doing this podcast. Thank you.